Good morning. It is not Sunday the 20th. It is Monday the 21st. We had some technical issues yesterday that prevented the sermon from being recorded. So I've come into my chilly office this morning about 8.30 to re-record it. Uh, it. It's not as bad as it actually sounds. I actually love the Word of God. <clears throat> and so... I really do enjoy the opportunity to revisit it, to read through it again, to think through it again, to meditate through it again, and uh, to receive it again myself. So I don't mind doing this at all. We're in Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 to 15. Father, I ask that you would bless this time, uh, bless your word to your people as we hear it, as we think about it and meditate on it, encourage us this morning, teach us, correct us, rebuke us where we need to be rebuked, and comfort us and give us the assurance of your authority and your sovereignty in all things. And we thank you for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Matthew writes this, Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. It's Monday, so I'm drinking coffee. Both Mark and Luke describe this event as well. The, those passages are equally brief. So I'll go ahead and read them to you. And listen for the differences that you hear. Mark writes in chapter 10, verses 13 to 16, and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Luke writes in chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they were rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So taking all three Gospels into account, we see that nursing children are brought to Jesus for his blessing. Uh, Luke says they were bringing even their babies to him. That's the Greek word brephe, that's the plural, and it refers to nursing babies. It includes babies in the womb and then babies who have been born and are still nursing. So nursing children are brought to Jesus for his blessing. The disciples objected. Jesus was angry with them for interfering. He called for the children to be brought to him. He said that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He said that those who do not receive the kingdom of God like a nursing child can never enter it. Mark, uh, in Mark, uh, it's, it's really emphasized. There's a double negative. Those who do not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. The sense is never. It is impossible. And then he took the babies into his arms and he blessed them. 
Now, what's very apparent is that Jesus' primary concern here is not to say that the kingdom of heaven belongs to human children. It belongs to disciples, but those disciples have to be like children. The babies are an an illustration of this truth that salvation comes only to those who are like little children with God. They trust him, they rely on him, they obey him. His disciples should have remembered this. It hasn't been that long since Jesus made the same point in Matthew chapter 18. He said to them there, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We have to be converted to become like children. We cannot make ourselves like children. And we are not naturally like children. We must be converted by the Spirit of God. The gospel call urges people to come as they are to Jesus. It urges them to turn away from their sin and turn to him and trust that, trust him entirely to save them. The scripture tells us who will be found in the kingdom of God for all eternity. Revelation 21.7 says, He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And Revelation 22.14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the authority to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. The city is eternal life. The robes is a reference to our unrighteousness compared to Jesus' righteousness. We're told to put on Christ. We are told that we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Blessed are those who... uh, have taken their unrighteous robes and by faith in Christ have placed their unrighteous robes upon him at the cross and have received his righteousness in return. So we urge this gospel call to people to to come as they are to Jesus, but heaven is not open to those who come as they are. We must be converted. We must be made like children. So Revelation 21.8 says, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sexually immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And Revelation 22.15 says, Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. So we urge sinners to come as they are to Jesus, but heaven does not belong to those who insist on being their own masters. It does not belong to those whose lives are marked by sin and pride and rebellion and self-approval. We must be converted and we must become like children. Not children in a generic sense. I'm 61 years old, and I am my mother's child, and it, it, but not that kind of a child. And not even children in a slightly dependent, but mostly independent sense, like with older teens. The, the sense is babies, infants, nursing children. God promises to be the father of those who come to the Lord Jesus Christ in simple faith. That that picture of God as Father, by the way, occurs almost 300 times in the New Testament. God designs human relationships to illustrate spiritual reality. He didn't create Adam and Eve and watch as they began a family and then say, you know that relationship between parent and child is, is wonderful. It's really wonderful. And so I'll use that to describe how I want to be with my people. He created human beings 
and, and all, all living things that bear children, to be honest. But he created human beings to be parents, to first be children and then to be parents. So that within that human relationship is the relationship of God with his people. It's one of the universals. We're, we're told by sociologists, at least I was when I was in college, it's been a long time, there are no such things as universals. But that is no such thing as universals, but that is a universal. Every human being out there had parents, and the majority become parents. So it doesn't matter how rich or poor, how civilized, how uncivilized, every human society, whether it's uh, the United States of America with hundreds of millions of people, or a, a Stone Age tribal group today in South America or somewhere in Asia, every human society understands this relationship of parent and child. They understand the dependence of the nursing infant on the mother. And God says, that's my relationship with my people. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, what is true of every human being as they're naturally born. He says in John eight forty four, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Not that Satan has the power to create life. They're not children of Satan in that sense. They're children of Satan, children of the devil in the sense that their loyalties are given to him. Their lives are determined by him. And we must be born again. We must be converted. The Reformation was a restorative movement that called the church back to truths that emphasized the childlike nature of saving faith. Think about this now. The, Ref the Reformation is defined sometimes by the five solas. Sola Scriptura. Scripture is the only source of infallible revelation and is sufficient for Christian faith and practice. Like infants, we are unable to figure out or understand anything on our own. God must tell us what we need to know, and he has told us in his word. Sola gratia. Salvation is based only on the grace of God and not human merit. Like infants, we are unable to deserve anything for ourselves in justification or salvation. It can come only to us by the grace of God. Now, someone will say, oh, but babies deserve to be cared for. But why do they deserve to be cared for? What have they done to deserve that? What have they done? The care that babies, reserve, that babies receive is, is purely by the grace of the giver, of the carer, of the mother. Sola Fide says sinners are justified by faith alone rather than on the basis of any good works. Like infants, we are unable to do anything to receive eternal life. We can only trust in Jesus Christ. Solus Christus says Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and human beings. Not only are other mediators unnecessary, by the way, they are non-existent. If somebody says, well, what's the problem in praying to Mary or praying to a saint and asking them to pray for me and to mediate for me, they can't. They're not allowed that role. They do not have that role. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. So like infants who are completely dependent on their mothers, Christians are completely dependent upon Jesus Christ. 
Soli Deo Gloria. All glory is reserved for God alone and should not be given to any other person or being. Just as infants deserve no credit for keeping themselves alive, fed, clean, and healthy, only God deserves any credit for saving, justifying, keeping, sanctifying, and glorifying sinners. So Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. The Reformation calls the church back to this childlike faith. I think Peter was probably pondering these words when he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If, he says, you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Tasting the kindness of the Lord means receiving new birth, receiving regeneration from him by the sovereign grace of God. If you have been born again in Jesus Christ, then like, be like a newborn baby and long for the pure milk of the word, so that by that pure milk of the word, you can grow in your salvation. Peter was not writing this letter as an evangelistic letter. He's not writing to unbelievers to say, you need to make yourselves like babies. He's writing to Christians and saying, you need to be like babies. He's telling us how he lives his life. He says right now, as the apostle Peter, as my death approaches, I'm not sure when Peter wrote First Peter, but as, as my death approaches uh, at the hands of Nero, having been, been a leader in the church and a preacher of the word of God and an apostle, uh, I daily live as an infant and long for the pure milk of the word of God. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how much you've done in the Lord, no matter how much of the Bible you know, no matter how sanctified you are, Peter commands you and me to long for the pure milk of Holy Scripture so that we can continue to grow. Babies. We're to be babies. So Jesus' primary point in, in Matthew 19.13-15 is that sinners contribute nothing to their own salvation except the need for being saved. And that the kingdom belongs to Sinners who have become like infants, who have become like babies in their faith and their trust and their reliance on Christ. But the word of God is wonderfully rich and multiple truths are often woven together. So I want to think about Jesus and children for a few moments. This is important too. We see parents, probably moms, since these are, are nursing babies and, and little ones, that sounds fairly nice, but it's fairly, it's fairly generic. Just bless my child. Just bless my child. The culture of the Jews reached deep into their history. Parents blessed their sons with the words, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Parents blessed their daughters with the words, may you be like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. All children were blessed with the, the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his face on you and give you peace. Parents would take their children to the synagogue, especially somewhere around the Day of Atonement, to receive a blessing from the elders. That blessing was basically, may the Lord make you righteous in the law, faithful in marriage, and abundant in good works. 
See, these are, these are blessings that elevate Yahweh, that elevate God to his proper place as the God and Savior of, of this child. Most parents in our time would ask for worldly things. We ask for health and wealth and happiness and success and achievement and fulfillment. To, to be honest, those are the very things that tend to keep us away from God. Those are the successes that cause us to not recognize our need. These men and women, in wanting their children to be blessed, whether they understood it fully or not, were really asking for their children to be righteous and faithful and good. They valued holiness over happiness and fulfillment, or faithfulness over fulfillment and wisdom over wealth. And they brought their children to Jesus for a blessing that they could never get from a synagogue or from a priest. How do we bring our children to Jesus? Well, we, first of all, we have to know the way ourselves. We ourselves must be in him. We ourselves must be people of the gospel. We must be men and women of the spirit, which means being men and women of the word and prayer. We can't bring our own children to Jesus unless we know how to get to him. Second, we must live unhypocritically as children. Now, unhypocritically is not a word. I just looked it up in the Oxford English Dictionary, which is the standard for the English language, and it is not a word, but I've invented it. We must live unhypocritically as children, uh, as Christians. Our children must see us in the word and prayer and fellowship. They must see us confessing our sins and forgiving the sins of others. They must see the gospel in us as clearly as they hear the gospel from us. I think religious hypocrisy does more to hinder a child's faith than any other single factor that they will ever face. Now, many parents, many Christians raise their children well in the Lord, only to have them drift away when they grow up and they don't believe. Raising our children faithfully is not a guarantee that they will believe. But I have never known unfaithful, hypocritical parents to raise godly, faithful children. To the contrary, I've seen over and over again that, that unfaithful, hypocritical Christians raise children who then abandon the faith, just like they abandon belief in Santa Claus. We must live unhypocritically as Christians. Third, we must tell our children the gospel. If, if you have a story Bible, that's fine. If you read them Christian stories, that's good. If you listen to Christian children's songs, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell them why they sin and why they can't stop. Tell them why Jesus came and what he did. Tell them that he came to live a holy life. Tell them about his cross. Tell them about his resurrection. Tell them that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And tell them that they must call upon the Lord, the name of the Lord, to be saved. That your faith cannot save them. That going to church, going to Sunday school, memorizing the Bible, listening to those, those songs and stories cannot save them. They must trust in Jesus. And fourth, we must pray for them. We must do what we can to bring them to the Savior and put them in his arms. If you had lived at that time and you had seen Jesus resting by the road, perhaps, and you had been carrying your baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, enjoying some warm spring air, would you have trusted Jesus with your baby? Would you have walked over and put your baby in Jesus' arms and then stepped away and just let him hold her? Let him hold him? 
Would you have let Jesus hold your baby as long as he wanted to hold her? Would you be content for the Son of God to have blessed your little one according to his will? See, we can entrust our children to Jesus right now. We can pray, not that they would have a happy, fulfilled life, but we can pray for their souls. We can ask that our Savior would be their Savior. We could ask that the Spirit of God would soften their hearts and cause them to hear and heed the gospel and grant them faith and join them with Jesus on his cross and in his resurrection and grant them repentance and grant them obedience. We can bring our children to Jesus in prayer and place them in his arms for his eternal glory and their eternal good. And by the way, we can do this with our our spouses. We can do this with our parents. We can do this with brothers and sisters, with nieces and nephews and cousins. We can do it with friends. We can do it with anybody. We can bring them to Jesus and place them in his arms and say, I know that this looks like a man. I know that this looks like a woman. I know that they have done some terrible things. But Lord, really, they're just an infant, and I lay them in your arms. So we must know the gospel, we must live the gospel, we must tell our children the gospel, and we must pray for God's mercy to rest upon them. Let's bring this home. First of all, only those who receive the kingdom of God like little children or infants are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. The gospel tells us that we are helpless and powerless and dependent. It says we don't know what is best for ourselves or what we need. It says we must continually rely on someone that we can't control or manipulate. It says we cannot force God to be good, but we must trust him to be good. Our very nature is bitterly opposed to this kind of humiliation. It's why God actively saves at his own discretion and doesn't passively wait for sinners to reach out for him. He would wait eternally for sinners to ever reach out to him. So as we take the gospel to the lost, we have to remember that we are powerless to persuade anyone. We cannot cause them to hear. We cannot soften their hearts. We cannot give them faith or repentance. Our part is to tell them the gospel clearly and plainly. God's part is to do the miraculous work of saving them. Second, this applies equally to our children and our grandchildren. Only God can save them. We can't save them. The church can't save them. A priest can't save them. A religious ritual can't save them. Baptism can't save them. Raising their hands and going forward can't save them. Only Jesus Christ can save them. We bring them to Jesus, as I have described, but we can't control the outcome. That being said, we must not diminish what we do in bringing them to Jesus for his blessing. He can and does do what is impossible for us. And with all of this, we must remember that our children are not saved because we are perfect parents. Adam and Eve had a perfect parent, and they still sinned. We make mistakes as parents, and some of those mistakes can have long-term effects. But it is never too late to bring them to Jesus. To be clear and secure in our own salvation, to live unhypocritically and happily as Christians, to tell them the gospel with our words, and to show them the gospel with our lives, and to pray. It doesn't matter if they're four days or four months or four years or four decades old. It is never too late to pray. Father, I thank you for this truth. I thank you for your word. And as we as we we think of those that we know who don't know you 
especially those that you have given us charge over with our children and relationships with, with family and friends, those who don't know you. Lord, help us to bring them to you repeatedly for your blessing. And we ask that you would bless them with eternal life for your glory and for their eternal good. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.